0: We swear to our own hurt. If we're committed to something, we're committed to it until it's all the way succeeded. Now, I'm not just applying this to the church. I'm applying it to anything you're involved in. If you go to work, you work for someone, I just have a little calendar given to this last year that's full of secrets of success. One of them says, why don't you play a real joke on your, on your ball? Get there early every morning this next week and stay a little bit late and do the extra things you didn't need to do. And when you see something that needs to be straightened up, even if it's not your job, if you've got the time to do it and you've got all your work done, go and do it. Did you know what's the funniest part about it? Sooner or later, he might come around and offer you either a partnership in the business or a promotion in the business. <laughs> Wouldn't that be a real joke? Because you were just trying to pull that little trick on him, do a little extra work. What are they trying to say? They're trying to say, be everything you're supposed to be and go beyond that. Do the, Go the second mile. Because you're, you, if you want to get rid of your boss, and you don't like your boss, do it. You may have a heart attack and die. Nothing bothers me like seeing Christians who only look for quitting time and paycheck time. I have, boss, I have employers tell me I'd rather hire anyone than a Christian. That's the most horrible thing I can possibly imagine anyone saying. My father wasn't even a Christian, but he used to tell me when I go to work, I want you to be the best man there today and don't you come home unless you are. I don't care how much the other guy did, you do more today. I don't get paid anymore. That's not the principle. The principle is you are to be establishing your own character. And we do. We do. You know, some people, when they're at jobs, they'll get on the telephone and talk to their friends for an hour (laughs) a day. You're stealing. Outright stealing from your employer. Well, they've got plenty of these. I can take one of these home. You're stealing. That's not your right. Yeah, but they have and I don't have. That's the idea I can't get over in the world today. They ask these young men who are out stealing today, why do you steal? Well, I needed it. They got it, and I need it. I'll steal. No concept at all that God says, "Thou shalt not steal." And the thieves can't not enter into the kingdom of heaven if they don't quit it. Yeah, but why should they have and I don't have? Because they probably work for it. How can I get it? Work. They don't know what work is. You know what? It's not a standard in these times. It used to be that it was a, those people took pride in the work they did. Nowadays, it's almost impossible to get people to take part because they've violated God's principles. Now, just hang on a minute. employers, take it easy now. You're saying amen too much here. But I really believe with all my heart that every Christian should stand out as someone who goes way beyond the call of duty to do everything to make they can to make their boss successful financially. But now, turn right around the other direction. I've known of employers who have manipulated and used their employees. Big businesses today, if they work 40 hours a week then you've got to give them all these benefits. So what do they do? Have them work 39 hours. You're cheating. You're stealing from those people. You know, the Lord says if if you hire someone and he cries out to me because you're not being fair to him, I'll deal with you. And this nation's on skids. Let me tell you, this nation's going to go down the tube. They're trying to find every way they can to cheat everybody as much as they possibly can. God's word says what? Love your neighbor as you love yourself. If you're in the business, don't think you can't make it if you try to treat your employees like you ought to treat your employees. I've seen bosses who've had their employees have to stay over for 30 minutes and not pay them for them. Take 10 minutes off their lunchtime and not pay them for it, Make them work more than 40 hours a week but refuse to pay them what they're supposed to pay them the extra pay. Don't worry about it. You'll get away with it but you'll pay because God says, you and I are to have such a standard in our lives that people cannot speak reproachfully against us. We are to honor God with what we do, and God will honor us. I don't know about you, but I'd rather have the honor of God in my life than anything else. It means even if we have to be willing to do that, even if it means we lose money. You say, yeah, but you can't do that and stay in business. You're telling me if you will follow God's principles, you can't stay in business, I've got news for you. God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound in every good work. He may have to lead you into another field, but if you put God first and honor him and swear to your own hurt and change not, God will honor that. How about the commitment that we belong to Jesus Christ and we're supposed to be his witnesses? You know, we talk a lot about getting tongues and having the gifts of the Spirit operate in our lives, but the real purpose for which they were given is that we might be witnesses for Jesus Christ. And the churches are filled today with people who have never, ever witnessed publicly for Jesus Christ, never won another soul to Jesus Christ. Well, I'm afraid if I do, I might call it make enemies. Jesus said the world's not going to love you, they're going to hate you. Get that settled in your mind. It doesn't make any difference what they say. They hate you anyway because they hated him. That is the norm. But he said if you don't warn them, then you're going to be held accountable before him. So, swear, even to your own hurt, even if it costs you. How about in stewardship? Oh, I love Jesus. You know, there's some people in church today who say they love Jesus, and week after week after week they take home uh, a paycheck. They refuse to tithe. They refuse to pay their offerings above and beyond. They say, well, I can't afford it. I want to tell you something. There is a disaster coming in your life spiritually in the days ahead. You say, Pastor, you're saying you have to try to protect yourself. I right, couldn't care less, but I have learned the principle. If you receive tithes of money coming into you every week, whatever it is in the way of a profit, and you do not tithe on it. In fact, you know in the Old Testament, if you didn't tithe immediately on it, God said put a 20% tax on it. If you wait a few days to pay it, put 20% more on it. Woo, legalism, bondage. No, the word that's what the word said. Wherever there is financial profit coming to you, weekly basis monthly basis whenever it comes in you know what it is if you've committed your life to Jesus Christ he said if you do not return all the tithe you're, you're robbing me I can't make it no you know what you're by your, your financial principles are so messed up that you haven't even learned the first basic principle you will never make it until you do why because God says that tenth is mine if I came to Susan and gave her a thousand dollars, said here, Susan, here's a thousand dollars. I'd put her in hand. She'd say, Wow, a thousand dollars. I said, Susan, give me, give me a hundred dollars back, will you please? Why, that's mine. I know, I just gave you a thousand, but if you got a hundred dollar bill, I appreciate it. You can keep the ninety nine hundred dollars, but just give me what's going on here? I was, what do you mean, give me back to you? You'd say, What an in ingrate. I mean, after all, he just gave her a thousand dollars. God says, I, everything you have, I've given you. Your talents, your time, everything is all all from me. is a gift. I just return 10% of it. Can't afford it. Can't afford it. Without Him, you didn't have anything. Can't afford it. Gotta keep it. God says, oh, You're cursed with a curse. You're cursed with a curse. Your finances will never make it. I've known people who have tried to joggle their finances around and just be in a disaster, and suddenly they begin to get into that principle I'm going to be obedient to God in my stewardship. How do they come? Right out of death. Why? Because God is able to open the doors of heaven. He said, if you'll be faithful and quit robbing me of my tithes and offering, I'll rebuke the devourer for your sake and I'll remove the curse from your finances. But you see, the real principle is back there you made a vow to God that Jesus Christ was Lord of your life and you've missed that vow. You've fouled up that vow. He said, better never to make a vow to me than to make it to break it." Better lose money, lose your property, than to lose your honor. Everything else can be replaced but your honor can't be replaced. Honor with man and honor with God. When a man loses his name he's lost the most important thing he can do his reputation. Money can be replaced houses can be replaced everything else can be replaced but not your reputation. And God's word says here that he that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. That's a priority with God. I want to ask you something this morning because each of us know ourselves if we're really honest are we known first of all for being reliable are you known for when people think of you do they think they're reliable you can always depend on them always never have to worry about they will there's some people here if they don't come through that door man I know something's wrong not only if they don't come through that if they haven't told me ahead of time before they come through that door I know something I've known of employers that have said never have to worry about that. That man has been with me for 25 years and every time, I mean, he's here right on time every morning. If he's not, he calls me ahead of time. That's the kind of people I really appreciate. That's the way all Christians are supposed to be. Reliable, steadfast, punctual. May I just take a moment just to talk about that that point of punctuality and I'll, I'll get to the next one tonight. He that put it not out his money to usury. Punctuality. How many of you know the Bible says thou shalt not steal? How many of you know the Bible says that? Thou shalt not steal. I don't steal any money. How many of you know that you can steal time, precious time from someone else? If you say, I'll be there at 12 o'clock, and you get there at 1230, you say, oh, boy, you're really getting nitty-gritty out here, aren't you? Yes, I am. You don't have to take something out of somebody's pocket to steal from them. If you've got a person who's very busy, the other day, for example, we had uh, an appliance that needed repairing. They called in the morning and said, we'll be there between right around uh, one, between 1 and 2 o'clock. My wife and I were there at home from 1 o'clock until 6 o'clock, and I called them. I said, where are they? We've got so many things we've got to get done. We don't know. We'll find out. I said, can you call me back?" Yes. I waited 30 minutes, called back. Well, we still don't know. We'll have to find out. We've called him four times. He won't call us. I said, well, can you send someone else out? Well, No. Not right now, we can't. I said, "Ma'am, this is getting very expensive for me. I've got other things I've got to get done. That night, I called again late at night and got a hold of one man. He said, well, we'll try to get you on tomorrow's schedule. I said, try to get me on tomorrow's schedule? Excuse me. You mean you're setting up your appointments for tomorrow? Yes. I said, you mean if you miss today, I get dropped back to the back of the line again? I said, uh uh-uh, that isn't the way it works. I was supposed to be taken care of today, and I spent all afternoon. I said, I want want him to be here tomorrow morning first thing well I don't know that. I said you can do it yeah. you can do it if you don't believe me I'll talk to the man the supervisor and I'll ask him why you can't do it why should I get dropped back to the back of the line when you fail to do what you're supposed to do today you say yeah I can identify with that Do you know that's exactly what we do to anyone when we tell them we'll be somewhere and we walk in nonchalantly half hour out. Uh, I know the pastor one time and by the way he went to prison later a pastor one time that he told me to meet him at one o'clock you know when I'd be there One o'clock in the afternoon, he said, I'll see you at one o'clock. I'd get there at three, and I'd beat him every time. He'd walk in like, well, I'm the most important person in the world. How are you doing? I said, fine. I said, thank God I waited two hours before I came. I said, why can't you ever be on time? That's not important. Oh, it's important. If you and I are going to ever be respected for having to keep our word, when we say we're going to do something, we've got to do it. Swear to your own hurt, even if it costs you, do it. Now I've experienced it in my life Where it cost me And when you don't get there on time You should really apologize Will you please forgive me It was unavoidable And I, I'll tell you really bothered me there's, there's a real difficulty I have too And most of you have If you are late What do you do? You speed to get there You see One compounds another Well I Well start early I've had people say I couldn't get there in the, on, on time because uh, uh, I said what time did you get up? Well didn't get up until 9.30 I wonder what would happen if you got up at 7 Oh 7 o'clock Yeah what time did you get bed last night? Oh about 4 in the morning You know what happened? It's like like one of our brothers in the church was counseling a couple one time they started telling him all the different problems violation of principles violation of he thought God why don't I just shoot him Let you sort him out nothing can straighten this mess out And you know what happens? We begin to blame the whole world because of our problem because we begin to violate one principle after another and God's word says that we should swear to our own hurt and change not like God does. I'm so glad when I get up in the morning I say God said this and it's true I can depend on it. We ought to be able to say my brother or my sister said this and I can depend on it. Now one more thing and I'll close young people. God has privileged you to live in a nation where you can get a good education. You listening to me young people? There are many nations where the young people would give anything for an education. And I find that there's young people even that go to church that during the week try to find any, any reason in the world to get out of school. You're going to destroy your own self. You're hurting no one but yourself. You're not even counting what's going to happen in the days ahead. You need to go down on Skid Row. I like what one man did. He took his hand down to Skid Row one time and said, look, see, see that person right there? He used to be an attorney. See that one right there? He was a doctor. What happened? He got to a place where he just quit Going with the way they were supposed to go just gave up have nothing left the word of God says what you sow you will reap every time you skip out of school you miss part of your education you're going to get less money less fewer opportunities and chances are you're going to be a total wreck in the days ahead you get out of school and get in with these other kids that want to run around and take the dope and all that stuff they think is so cool. They're blowing their minds. I wish I could take you to some of these hospital wings where they are absolutely gone. Their minds are gone. God has given you a body and he says that's the temple of the Holy Ghost. I want to live in it. And you and I are to have nothing to do with those things and tell the rest of the kids, bug off. When I got saved, the other guys wanted me to smoke and drink with them anymore. I said, I have no time for that anymore. I used to do it very heavily. Jesus Christ has become Lord of my life. I want nothing to do with it. Oh, what's the matter here? You're getting religion on? us I know, I haven't got religion. I found Jesus Christ is the answer to my life. I want to tell you something. Every time you miss school, every time you run around with those kids, you're violating biblical principles, and there's a horrible price to pay in the days ahead. Jesus said, "I'm come that you might have life and have it more abundantly." You abide by God's principles, and you'll win you violate by there's a way that seems right unto man but the end thereof are the ways of death and let me tell you young people are dying by the thousands every day because they violated God's principles why do you think he put these in here just to irritate us no he said if you'll operate by these principles you'll succeed and you'll be happy in life I know I've quit preaching on the to Midlands today it's very important for us to understand these biblical principles these biblical certainties for us to succeed as Christians I want to continue on them tonight because they're they're very very important for us to apply to our daily lives and only the Lord by his Holy Spirit can cause you to begin to function by these principles you don't have to treat your employer any different but if you realize God says he'll reward you if you're obedient then you want to you don't have to treat your employees any differently but God said if you will I'll bless you and you'll succeed even more and so you have that choice you don't have to go to school. You can bug off and make a total wreck of your life in the days ahead and then come back and say, oh, I wish. How many, pay, how many people here this morning, have, uh, some of you adults, know of people in the past that thought, man, they were just going to turn loose and have to do their own thing. Today they're paying a horrible price for it. Whatever you sow, you reap. Remember, you pay now or you pay later. Everybody pays. You pay now or you pay... You pay now and stay in school and get your education and have success in the days ahead Or you have fun And play all the games now And you pay later Everybody chooses When they're going to pay Who's going to pay When God's purpose Is that we might have life And have it more abundantly And if we'll obey his rules Obey his principles We can have successful life I'm so grateful That we can depend on God Because he's faithful And he wants us to be faithful To depend on each other Father Thank you for these truths Seem so simple not complicated at all And they work All we have to do is do them We have to make a choice I'll do what I want to do I'll do what God wants me to do And in making that choice We choose life Or we choose death Father I pray that none here later on Will look back and say I chose death and now I'm experiencing I want some way out Will realize that Jesus Christ is the way out submission to him, being doers of the word, not just hearers, not just sitting in the pew and soaking, they're becoming actively involved. The wise man is the one you said who, having heard the word, doesn't. I pray that everyone here this morning will allow these principles to filter down into their heart. And They won't even need anything new today, they'll just take these principles and begin to make them a reality in their life. How I pray, Father, is that you'll encourage every person here and realize that you make them realize how much you love them, how much you want the very best for them. But that they must make this choice. Whom will I serve? Myself? The devil? The flesh? Or will I serve the Lord? Father, give us some Joshua's and Calebs here. As for me in my house, I'll serve the Lord. Because we know it's the best. Father, I'm so thankful that while all the others were dying in the wilderness, that like Joshua and Caleb came back and said I'm just as strong as I was 40 years ago I'm going to go and take that which God's given to me I pray that you'll give us that kind of character in Jesus' precious name we do ask it Amen We're talking about biblical certainty biblical certainties. the first biblical certainty that we talked about was and I thought I would better put it overhead because as you see it and hear it, it sticks with you longer. The first one is, the Bible is a supernatural book unlike any other. It is the inspired word of God and the complete authority for my life. Now that sounds good. And you may be able to memorize it. I was told that one of the Khrushchev, uh the communist leader years ago, at one time in his life had memorized one of the gospels. Completely memorized it. But it didn't do a thing for him. You can memorize this and it won't do a thing for you. I've known a people that have memorized the 23rd Psalm and it didn't do a thing for them. This must become a conviction in your life. And that's what we're talking about biblical certainty, things that you and I will not budge on, will not move. That is that the Bible is a supernatural book, unlike any other. It is inspired, Word of God, and the complete authority for my life. Now, when I talk about being a, there has to be a conviction. Do you remember what I said convict- uh, constituted a conviction? I want you to see again that conviction is a, the state of being convinced, a firm belief, a certainty, an assurance, and that which allows you to make firm, independent decisions or judgments. By that, the Bible says, if a man is double-minded, don't let that man think he'll get what? Anything from the Lord. A double-minded man is a man without conviction. A person who has convictions can expect God to intervene in his behalf. I don't care what God what the world's going to what's going to happen to the rest of the world but I know as for me and my God he says he'll never leave me he'll never forsake me. My God shall supply all my need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus and I want you to know the Bible says very clearly without faith it's impossible to please God. And I want you to know you and I will not have biblical faith until we have convictions. Either the word of God is absolutely the word of God totally the word of God the truth undiluted truth if we believe that regardless what man might say or we don't expect anything from God if it isn't a supernatural book then why are we putting our whole dependence for eternity on it if it's, unlike, if it's not unlike any other book why don't we just read other books and forget this one it has to be a conviction that there's something totally different about the word of God we've talked about that over and over again but this is what a conviction is now a biblical conviction is a basic biblical scriptural principle which we determine to follow regardless of the cost. A biblical conviction is I believe this is what the Bible says and I couldn't care less what the rest of the world does. This is the way I'm going to go. But the rest of the world is hearing a different drumbeat. You're right. And I'm not going to listen to their drumbeat. I'm going to listen to what the Word of God says because there's a way that seems right unto man but the end thereof are the ways of death. So a biblical conviction, when we talk about conviction, it is not bondage. It is not legalism. It's Bible truth. If the Word of God says it, that settles it. You know, I've, heard, I've said before, some people say, if God's Word says it, I believe it, that settles it. No, no, no. All has to say is, if God's Word says it, that settles it, whether I believe it or not. You have to come to that conviction. If God's Word says it, it doesn't make a difference what I believe. You heard of the man who tore up the road map and thought he had destroyed all of Florida one time, tore up a Florida Florida road map. Uh, I, that's, as, that's as logical as the man that tears up the Bible says he doesn't believe and thinks he's just destroyed God. Whether you and I accept the Bible or burn the Bible doesn't change the reality of who God is and that his word is true. Now, I keep emphasizing this for a very special reason. We're living in a day and age where most people are not sure what they believe and why they believe it. And I'll tell you, when the winds of adversity come along, and they are going to come along, when they come along, they're going to be swept away. You've got to be established on what the word of God says. Thus saith the Lord, and I will not be moved. That's why Jesus said, The wise man built his house upon a rock, a foundation upon Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, Search the scriptures, for they are they which speak of me. You can find me in the Word of God. When we find Jesus Christ and His will here in the Word of God, then we have the answer. So we're talking about biblical certainties, biblical convictions, things that we will not be moved on. The Bible is a supernatural book unlike any other. It is the inspired Word of God and the complete authority for my life not the Word of God plus this not the Word of God plus that the Word of God is the authority of my life all Scripture is God breathed and is profitable for doctrine for reproof for correction instruction and in righteousness that the man of God may be what thoroughly furnished unto all good works we don't need anything else it has it all right here every need of man's life is taken care of right here now second conviction is as a believer I must purpose to seek God and to set my goals according to his priorities. We've talked about that in the past. Now when we talk about purpose, what does it mean by purpose? I must purpose to seek God and to set my goals according to his priorities. What does it mean by purpose? Purpose is a free choice from the heart when determining goals or directions to take. You remember that when the 12 spies went into the promised land to spy out the land, they all saw the same thing, heard the same thing, experienced the same experiences. Ten of them came out and said, Oh, we're like grasshoppers. We can't do a thing. And two others coming out, having seen the same thing, made a different conclusion. Why? Because the Bible says they had a different spirit in them. What was that spirit? God said we can take them. They'll be like dust under our feet. They'll be like grasshoppers under our feet. Who are you kidding? If God be for us, who can be against? Let's go. And so what was the difference? The difference was. They purpose to believe God. You and I have a a believer inside of us, and we can believe anything we want to believe. We can either believe that God isn't going to take care of us, or God is going to take care of us. That God can't take care of the circumstances, or God can take care of the circumstances, and it's all right here between our ears. We must choose what we will believe. As a believer, I must purpose to seek God and set my goals according to his priorities. God doesn't make any difference what I want. What do you want? And when that becomes our purpose, when that becomes our priority, God's priorities become our priority, then we can expect God to intervene in our, in our lives every day. That's what a purpose is, a free choice. God's not going to make you do it. God will not make us do anything. God will allow us to choose. That's why he said, choose you this day whom you'll serve. That's why he said, whosoever will may come. That's why in the Old Testament he said to the children of Israel, do these things and I'll bless you. Do these things and I'll curse you. God did not say, I'm going to put a hammerlock on you and you're either going to do it or else. He said, go into the promised land I'll give you the victory. We're not going to the promised land, we'll get destroyed. They go out in the wilderness, I'm going to judge you. You see, you and I choose what's going to come to us in the days ahead. As a man, I mean, whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. How do we sow? By our purpose. We either a purpose to do what God says or we purpose to do what we want to do. And the end result: if you sow to the flesh, you reap corruption. If you sow to the spirit, you reap life, joy, peace, and happiness in the Holy Ghost. God doesn't do it to us. God simply reimburses us what we have planted. Whatever you sow that's what you're going to plant. Remember I said you can't sow cockleburs and raise wheat. You can't sit on on uh, uh, vulture's eggs and raise chicks. You just can't do it. Someone said if you don't like the fruit of sin stay out of the orchard. It's all all these things are saying the same thing. You and I must purpose by a free choice of our heart that we're going to, to set our goals and directions according to what God has said in his Word according to his priority. He has set my goals according to his priority. What's God's priority? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Not seeking other things, seeking God's priority. And we must purpose to do that. You know, that's why James says, don't say tomorrow I'm going to go do thus and such. But what? The Lord willing, tomorrow I'm going to go do thus and such. I've had people come around and say, well, I think next year I'm going to go do thus and such. And I think, you know, I, I must be an unusual thing for them to be able to say I couldn't say that until God said next year you're going to go to Dustin's such. oh I may want to do that but I have to say Lord is that what you want me to do you know we even prayed about whether we should take this vacation this summer and we felt that it was the time for us to be able to take that time and get away for that long time but if I had gotten up to that vacation and then the Lord said no I'd have to say fellas, I was going to be gone for two weeks why? Because I'm not here on my own orders. I don't do what I want to do. I have to find out what God wants us to do, what his priorities are for my life. And there's no insignificant part of our lives when we belong to Jesus Christ because everything we have belongs to him. You can say amen or O oh M E, me, whichever you want. Now, let's go on. The third conviction. My body is the temple of the Holy Ghost and must not be defiled by the lusts of the world. That's the third biblical certainty. The Word of God is very clear on this. I think it's time for us to take sides crawl off them under the table. I'm tired of Christians making excuses for the immorality that's going on in the Church of Jesus Christ today. I'm tired of, of pastors making excuses for people living in immorality. We need to declare our position. The Word of God says that we are to live in purity as believers. We're to live holy lives before the Lord. And I want you to know that the sin we're seeing around us today is not something that's unique Uh And just because we put a lot of dressing on it, that it makes it any different. Sin is sin, and it's never any different from what it was in Paul's day. Back in Paul's day, they had what they called the Feast of Bacchus, which was a fertility god of wine, and they would have keg parties. Ever heard of those? Oh, that's the latest thing, you know. I mean, just a few years ago, everybody, keg parties and dope. keg parties and dope. They thought that was the latest thing going on. They had them back in Paul's day. They had keg parties, and when they came, they said, now release yourself to Bacchus, the god of wine. And they would drink and finally end up with insane orgies and drunkenness and perversion. Everything else that was involved. And it became a common thing in that society in that day and age which Paul was living. So Paul was not preaching to some pure, clean society. When he started teaching the things of the Word of God, he was not teaching some popular subject. He had to go against the whole, so, uh, the whole uh, thrust of society. And you know what the difference was? When men and women in that day heard what Paul had to say from the Bible... They changed their lives and had convictions against these things and because of their convictions they turned the world upside down. The first conviction we have to understand is who we're talking about here when we talk about my body as the temple of the Holy Ghost. I'm only talking about someone who has genuinely been saved, redeemed, washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Someone who has been converted through the blood of Jesus Christ and faith in him. I'm not talking about easy believism. Easy believism is a convenience for those want to feel religious at times, and then be able to do what they want to on the the other side. And Jesus said, don't let those people fool you. That's not genuine Christianity. Look at Romans 6. Romans chapter 6. I don't want you to hear what Pastor Webb has to say. Let's see what the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit had to say concerning one who is truly saved. They become a new person in Jesus Christ, and we quit our old way of life. What shall we say then? Romans 6.1 What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father even so we also should walk in newness of life That's God's intention for us. If we've been redeemed, we walk in newness of life in Jesus Christ. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, knowing this, be fully assured of this fact, that our old man is crucified with Christ, that the body of sin might be destroyed, and that henceforth we should, what? Should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing, here's that, having this assured, full assurance again. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing, here's that, having this assured, full assurance again knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, just like Jesus died on the cross, just like Jesus was buried in the grave, likewise, reckon yourselves, in other words, count upon it, in spite of whatever you feel, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, dead but alive. Paul the Apostle said, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. We have a new controlling factor in our lives when we're genuinely saved, that is to transform every aspect of our life. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin, what? Sin, what? Might not? Shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under law, but under grace. That's the evidence of grace. Not that you can do whatever you want to, but the evidence of grace is that you're no longer under sin. You're no longer under the law. You're under grace. And the proof of it is that you're a brand new person in Christ a totally changed individual in Jesus Christ. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? Today many people in the church say, yes, you're free to do whatever you want to. Paul says, God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that you were. Past tense you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of what? Servants of, say servants of righteousness. Servants of righteousness is what we became, not servants of the flesh, not servants of self. We became servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh, for as ye have in the past tense yielded your members, servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members, servants to righteousness unto holiness. I do not understand how churches, many churches are, are allowing people to, that they can go right on and do the things that they did before they are saved. Paul says you did it that way before, you are to live totally different now that you're Christian. You lived that for the flesh and for self before, now you're to live unto Jesus Christ you are to yield your members unto righteousness and unto holiness. For when you were, past tense, the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I don't see how anyone can read that and say that living holiness and righteousness and separation and the sanctified life is legalism and bondage. It's Bible. And it must become a conviction in our heart that we're to live holy under the Lord. Our body is not our own. Look at 1 Peter, the fourth chapter, with me. 1 Peter, chapter 4. You see, conviction comes when we hear what the Word of God says and respond to the Word of God. 1 Peter, chapter 4. The other one was Paul speaking, now under the same inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Peter, the Apostle Peter spoke, For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind or the same attitude. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin, that ye no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walk in lasciviousness. You see, all this is past tense. When we used to walk in lasciviousness, when we used to walk in lust or vehement desires, when we used to get drunk or in excess of wine, when we used to go to revelings and wild parties and banqueting uh, and abomin- abominable idolatry, wherein they think it strange that you run not with them. To the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you, who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead? He says there's such a change in your life, they're going to start criticizing you that you don't continue to do the things you once did. You know why the church isn't being criticized today? Because many of them are doing the same things now that they did before they professed to be Christians. Now, what you know, it's got to be a conviction in our heart that God wants our lives to be different. He wants our lives to be transformed and have a sorrow for our sin and genuine repentance of our sin. Remember me telling the story some time ago of the man that went to the altar and was praying and asked a man to pray with him because he had stolen 47 loads of hay over a period of five years? And the man said, well, if you've got to tell God you're sorry and ask Him to forgive you. And the man said, Father, forgive me for stealing those 50 loads of bales of hay. And he said, wait a minute, you said 47 loads. He said, I know, but he said, I've got to go back. I need three more loads. And we laugh about that. We say, well, you know, that, that guy wasn't really serious. But how many times do we see that happen in the church? people say, oh, I've accepted Jesus Christ and my life has changed, but uh, he doesn't mind if I do this, I do that, and the other thing. In fact, I think it's bondage and legalism when you tell me I can't do those things anymore. It isn't legalism, it's grace. The power, you now have the power to know and to do God's will in your life. That's the release and the freedom we receive through the grace of Jesus Christ. You see, when, when you and I become genuinely saved, the Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son come to dwell in us the God of the Trinity comes to dwell in us and when they come in they come, he comes in when we are sorry for our past we hate our past we repent of our past we forsake our past we claim forgiveness and cleansing and the evidence of whether that's really happened in our life is not whether we ever sin again because every one of us fail and every one of us falls short but it's our attitude when it happens now when we're saved and we stumble and fall, we're miserable. Oh God, please forgive me. I don't want that in my life. I want that to be gone. I rebuke that in Jesus' name. Please give me victory in that area of my life. Well, I've seen many Christians who used to do that and today are no longer convicted for many things that they're doing that they one time would never have done. And I want to tell you something, that's not the Holy Ghost. The first step is sorrow for their sin, repentance and claiming forgiveness is the second one. And the third one is yielding to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. When we do that, according to the word of God and this is by conviction when we do that when we truly repent of our sins we're forgiven and the spirit of God dwells within us you see there are a lot of people that like to go to church because they feel that's where they're going to meet God at church I want to tell you something you need to read the book of Acts look at Acts 7.48 I've known some people say I just can't go just anywhere and worship God I've got to find a nice, nice church with stained glass windows and organ music and all the rest of that that's when I feel God's presence I want to tell you something God may not be there at all. That may be just feeding the religious spirit. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there's peace. And I've walked in some of the littlest, most insignificant churches, and I've felt God's presence there. I've walked in some great big churches, and all I felt was stuffiness. One person said, "I smell money in this church." <laughs> you walk in some church, that's all you smell is money. Acts 7:48. What does it say? This is Stephen speaking. Howbeit, the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands, as said the prophet. God doesn't dwell in temples made of hands. He dwells in our hearts. And when we come together, we don't come to meet God here. We come to fellowship one with another and to learn God's word and God's will and to grow and fellowship and encourage each other. God does not dwell in this building. He dwells in us and when we come, he's here because we're here. When we leave, he doesn't have to stay here. He's with us. I'll never forget the man that came here one time and got so upset and left this church because we were serving donuts and coffee for the choir in the back room one time and he said we've made this into a den of thieves and we had some tapes over there uh, available to people that wanted to buy tapes he made this a den of thieves he said you've defiled the temple I said this isn't the temple this is just a, a storefront it's the temple of God I said no 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 read your New Testament ye are the temple of God just make sure you're keeping your temple clean it sounds good and religious though look at John 14 John chapter 14 beginning with verse 11 this is just before Jesus was crucified and buried and rose, risen from the dead again verse 11 believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me or believe me for the very works verily verily I say unto you he that believeth on me the works that I do shall he do and greater works than these shall he do because I go unto my Father and whatsoever ye shall ask in my name that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son if ye shall ask anything in my name I will do it and I'll pray the Father, and he will, shall give you another comforter, Christ's personal representative, the released Christ coming to it, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and what? And what? Shall be in you. El Shaddai. The many-breasted God. Elohim, the God, the very God. Jehovah, Lord, self-existent, eternal one, is going to move into us, Jesus said. We are the temple of God. My body is the temple of the Holy Ghost and must not be defiled by the lust of this world. John 14, 23. John fourteen twenty. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Now that's conditional. That fellowship is conditional. What does he say? If a man love me and if a man will keep my words, if a man will love me and if a man will keep my words and my, uh, my and my father will love him and will come unto him and make our abode with him. And the end result of when God comes is found in 1st Corinthians the 3rd chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16. Know ye not, are you ignorant of this fact? Has no one told you, have you not been informed? Are you lacking this area of knowledge? Know ye not that ye are, present tense, the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? In whom? In those who love God and keep His Word. In those who love God and keep His Word. It's conditional and those who love God and keep his word that's what it says in the Old Testament you'll find that when God was dwelling in the temple Jewish temple that when it became defiled that God himself moved out of the temple in Ezekiel the 8th chapter the 11th chapter Israel was idolatrous and had idols in the temple and the priests were worshipping uh, idols in the lower chambers of the of the uh, temple and uh, Worshipping these sun creatures, like it speaks of in Romans one and two, and it says they were thumbing their nose at God and burning incense, and and uh, they said God doesn't see us down here. And one of the most tragic stories there, but it, it it shows us what happens in the life of a believer when they turn away from what God has told them they should do for blessings. Scripture says in Ezekiel nine three that uh, that the that the spirit of God was was hovering over the cherub of the ark of the covenant and when this kept going on in the temple that the Spirit of God moved out of the Holy of Holies out to the threshold of the temple and when in verses 18 and 19 when it continued on I mean services went right on and the the worship went right on and the the offerings went right on and the sacrifices went right on and the Spirit of God had moved to the threshold then he moved out to the uh, east gate and stayed there for a while, and services went right on, and the sacrifice went right on, and the, the praise and the worship and the offerings, everything went. Nothing changed as far as the temple is concerned, but they, then the Spirit of God moved out to the mountain outside the city, and like Samson, he wished not that the Spirit of the Lord had departed. You know, there are lots of times when we have to be careful that we wish not that the Spirit of the Lord has backed off of us. You say, He can't do that. If I regard iniquity in my heart, God doesn't even hear my prayer. It has to become a conviction in our life that my body is the temple of the Holy Ghost and it will not and must not be defiled by the lust of this world. The Spirit of God left that. And, and by the way, when the temple was cleansed, the Spirit of God returned again. Came back, the presence of God came back into the Holy of Holies. And uh, the reason I'm trying to make this so vital to you tonight is today we're hearing such an a influx of, of preaching of cheap grace. I mean, you can call yourself a Christian, do just about anything you want to do, go anywhere you want to do, be just like the world is, do the things the world does, and it's not legalism and bondage when I tell you that God says, come ye out from among them and be ye separate. Touch not the unclean thing, and I'll be your God. Whatsoever things are true and honest and just and pure and lovely, of good report with virtue and praise, think on those things. Going beyond that, we get into difficulty, and we open ourselves to all kinds of problems. And I'll tell you, our youth are bombarded today with immorality and violence. And in our educational system, many of them are being dummied down to where there's very few people that are going to be able to stand strongly and have good uh, reasoning uh, potential in the days ahead. And it seems like it's almost uh, a planned program of dummy down, dummy down. The teachers are told that uh, don't try to make them achieve, don't try to get them to compete, just nurture them. Just make them feel good. If you flunk a student, that shows you're a lousy teacher. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? If you flunk a student, and there's some students come there that have just about half the life of a slug and sit in the class. That if breathing weren't involuntary, they'd suffocate. And when the teacher tells them to open a book, they don't even know what a book is they're snorted so high they're sitting there just off in space and if the teacher can't pass that student they're poor teacher if I were a teacher I'd say hey ship them on through let them go not my problem let the guy above get it let the... and that's what our young people are being faced with never has it ever happened in the history of this world before and then there you have the, the abandonment of many of parents that have left the home and they, they feel forsaken there's abandonment as far as they're concerned uh, uh, a spirit of uh, rejection in their lives and so there's that insecurity. So they go out to their peers and try to find acceptance in their peers, and that's fools trying to be supported by fools when they need mature encouragement, and support, and strengthening and correction. It's destroying. We have to know that my body is a temple of the Holy Ghost; and must not be defiled by the lust of this world. And I'll tell you, sin is as old as mankind, and they're just trying to put new names on it, young people. And if you and I don't get a conviction of this, that God just called us unto holiness. We're not going to stand. The same Holy Spirit that turned the world upside down 2,000 years ago and gave men and women conviction is living today in the lives of believers and wants to turn the world upside down, this nation upside down again, by young people and adults who have convictions that their body is a temple of the Holy Ghost. And that same power is in them. Now, why does God do these things? He said it's for our good. He gives these commandments to us for our good. I'm going to stop tonight by the grace of God I hope to finish this next week but I want this to become a conviction down in your heart how many of you know if you accepted Jesus Christ into your heart that your body is a temple God dwells in you I remember when I became a new Christian and I had smoked so heavily before I was a Christian and guys would come around to me and ask me if I would like to have a cigarette they never get it when I was smoking I had a terrible time getting cigarettes when I was smoking but when I quit, they wanted me to smoke with them. So they come out here, have a cigarette. And I finally started saying, "Just a second, let me ask." They said, "Ask who?" I said, "Well, I have, I have a resident inside me now, the Holy Ghost, and I want to be a polite host. Holy Ghost, would you like to have a cigarette?" They look at me. I say, "No." He says, "He'd rather or not. He'd rather for me to keep my temple clean. Thank you, just the same." I knew they thought I was crazy, but you know what? I didn't care. I got a, a thought across to them that something new is happening in my life. The Holy Ghost is in here and I should be a cordial host. Holy Ghost, did you like a slug of whiskey? No, thank you. Neither will I then. Still, you know, we're trying to be polite around other people. If they have convictions, we try to not to insult them. We need to not insult the Holy Spirit that's living in our life. Holy Spirit, this body is yours. Do you want me to allow others to handle it, to fondle it, when they have no legal right as my husband or my wife? No. Don't let them do that because that will stir up things that you used to be involved in or the world is involved in and, no, this is your temple. Don't do that. What makes a difference? Your purpose. I purpose to do God's priorities. I purpose in my heart that the word of God is true, that I am to be different, that I am to be set aside, that I am to be a holy people. My body is not my own. I used to serve the devil with my members. And I'm ashamed of that now. Let me tell you something. I'm ashamed of what I did before I was a Christian. Pretty ashamed of it. And now, I have the Holy Spirit in my life and He's come to strengthen me. And I say, Holy Spirit, this body is yours. I don't want anything to happen to this body that isn't glorifying to you. And so I just ask you to give me convictions where I'll stand and say, no, none of those things are going to happen in my life because my body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. If I will obey God, He's promised to bless me. If I disobey Him, He's promised me that there's difficult can't tell you how many times we've heard already on uh, television programs recently people standing up, young people standing up saying, you know, I only stepped over the line one time and now I've got HIV I only stepped over one, just made the mistake one time and now I've got AIDS." you say, you sow the seed and the crop came back you say, that's so harsh, no, it's a fact of life, whatsoever you sow, that's what you also reap God says there's a better way, do it my way and there'll be blessing and prosperity All the things will be yours that you need. Make it a conviction, young people. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Adults also. Hey, listen. I can't believe some of these things that I'm reading. I've got some facts and figures I'll be giving here before long of what's happening in churches. What's happening in churches. But you see, you and I have to make that purpose. What am I going to do? How am I going to respond to these? How you respond will be how you'll, you'll reap the benefits or reap the harvest that'll come from not responding to what God says in his word God's not cruel and harsh he's just simply saying this is the way to walk this is the best way this is where the path of purity is a path of power walk over here and there's problems the path of impurity is a path full of problems you choose which way you walk and you say my purpose is to do things according to God's priorities that's my conviction. based upon the Word of God which is the Word of God father make these things such a reality in our lives that we'll never be able to get away from it. I pray that the fear of God will come into our lives and realize that one of these days, every one of us is going to answer for every idle deed, every idle word, every idle thought we stand before you. God help us realize that you have called us to a life of holiness. And there's every word, thought, and deed that we've ever performed is recorded thank you for the blood of Jesus that we put it under the blood never to be remembered against us again but I pray Father that you'll bring us to the place where we will take this stand and say this is my conviction it's not a persuasion with me it's a conviction and I'm not going to move I don't have to move because I'm right I'm right because I'm saying what God says and God's always right would you pray that prayer right now Lord I believe the word of God is a supernatural book different from any other and it's going to be the, the rule of my life and I choose the purpose of my heart to set God's goals and priorities as mine and my body is the temple of the Holy Ghost and I'll not defile it I purpose not to defile it with the lust of this world as you hear these prayers tonight I ask in Jesus name that you'll confirm it to their hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit that you'll do a new thing in their lives above and beyond anything they've ever known before that they'll have the freedom and the joy and the peace knowing that they're right when you do God's way you do it right and there's no sorrow afterwards let it become a reality in each of their lives I pray in Jesus name all of God's people said Amen God bless you Of messages called biblical certainties. One of the greatest needs in the church today is that Christians know what they believe and why they believe it, and then believe it and stand for it. In Luke, the first chapter and the fourth verse, Luke said he wrote the book of the Gospel of Luke that thou mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed, that you might know for sure. This idea today that there is nothing too absolute and there's nothing that we can stand on is out of the the chasm of hell itself because Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. We've talked about biblical certainties. The first one being, the Bible is a supernatural book unlike any other. It is the inspired word of God and the complete authority for my life. We've talked about that, and I want to tell you again, if you have not settle that in your heart, you're in for trouble in the days ahead. If you do not have a foundation upon which to stand and say this I believe and I believe it because the word of God says it and that settles it. It's not the word of God says it, I believe it and that settles it, it's the word of God says it and that settles it, whether I believe it or not. So that has to be the foundation and complete authority for my life. Secondly, as a believer I must purpose to seek God and to set my goals according to his priority. We're living in a day and age when people come to church and begin to tell you what they want, how we're supposed to take care of their needs and their problems. You know, I want to tell you something. Your priorities are not necessarily God's priorities. And when I'm praying and I'm seeking God's face as to what believers need and I'm trying to feed the whole flock, there's some people who say, oh, teach this, 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 this. And I said, there's others over here that need that, 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 that. And I've got to feed everyone. You go home and feed yourself during the week. And when you come here, I'll feed what I believe God wants the flock to have, and then the whole flock can grow together. But as we look at it, we have to purpose to seek God individually and to set up our own personal goals according to his priority. Lord, it doesn't make difference what I want to do. Lord, what would you have me to do? I cannot say tomorrow I'm going to go to dust and such. I have to say the Lord willing, tomorrow I'm going to go to dust and such. And how many of you know that in almost every instance, our priorities are not God's priorities. I've had some real priorities I've talked to God about for years, and he doesn't seem to think that they're priorities as far as he's concerned right now. He says, I've got other things I'm trying to deal with in your life. Yes, Lord, I'd like to talk about this. And he says, I want to talk about that. How many of you know who's going to win? <laughs> and so we can sure save ourselves an awful lot of trouble if we'll set our goals according to his priorities. The third one is, my body is the temple of the Holy Ghost and must not be defiled by the lust of this world. We talked about that. The path of power is the path of purity. The world will try to draw us into impurity and immorality and unrighteousness. But Jesus said, whatever we sow, we reap. And we have to recognize, and by the way, I know there's times when we get defeated. I know there's times when we get discouraged. I know there's times when the enemy will come along and knock us down. The question is not if we got knocked down. The question is, if we have Jesus Christ in our heart, are we willing to get up again and repent and say, God, I'm going to go on? I've seen so many people fall off of the side out of discouragement failing to recognize he did not say that you and I are going to be perfect Paul came to the end of his ministry and says not as though I've already arrived but I'm still pressing toward the prize the, mark, uh, prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus and if you and I are still pressing that's the important thing it's the violence that are going to take the kingdom of God the scripture says those that say I don't care how many times the devil knocks me down I'll guarantee you one thing I'll get up again and I'll go on devil, you're not going to win I'm trying not remember who it was, I think it was uh, Billy Sunday. Said one time, he's going to he's going to chew on the devil until he loses all of his teeth, and he'll gum him until he dies. Whatever it takes, he said, I'm not going to give up. The devil's not going to win. Now, the fourth one we want to talk about this morning is my church must teach the foundational truths of the Bible and reinforce my basic convictions. I've had people say, Well, I go to this and this church and that church. I said, Don't they believe this? Yes. Do you believe that? No. Well, that's a crucial doctrine well I know it but there's just so many wonderful people in the church that I just love the fellowship that I have there and I say but we have to be careful we don't promote false doctrine if we promote it and say God bless you on false doctrine we become a partaker of that false doctrine we have to be very very careful I've had people say well I know that my pastor doesn't believe in the miracles or I know the pastor doesn't believe the, the word of God is inspired but he's such a good speaker that I really enjoy what he says well Paul says when you find that kind of a speaker, get away from them don't get near them if you hear someone who's not teaching what you know is right, get out of it. Get out of there and go somewhere else. Whether you do, if you see someone who's not living according to the standards that God's Word says they should, as a leader, you're not to follow them. Because if you do, you open yourself and your family and your uh, future generations to the same spirits that are in that leader. You have to be very careful and make sure that you're operating by biblical principles. And that your church will teach the foundational. Now it doesn't say the little side issues. It says the foundational truth. I say that because I've had some people get so upset because they may not cross their T's and dot their I's the same way I do on eschatology. Well, big deal. Who cares if Jesus comes at the beginning in the middle or the end of the tribulation period or after the, tri- of the millennium? It doesn't make really any difference. The real key is he is coming, and you and I had better live like he's coming and be prepared for his coming and labor as long as it's data. I, I couldn't care less about that. I keep telling people, I'm going on the, in, uh, in the second busload, the first busload I told is already gone. I'm going in the second busload. You can come whenever you want to. But see, those are side issues. But I'm talking about fundamental, foundational truths of the Word of God. You should know that your church is teaching that. Why? Because your children are going to grow up, and even though you may have reservations in your mind, you may tell them that if they constantly hear something that's contrary to what you know is the foundational truth, it will make an effect on their life. That's why I tell parents, be careful where you send your kids to school, too. Because as much as they may know of the Word of God, unless you continuously reinforce what they know and what you've you've taught them, they can have that ripped off from under them. And how many parents today are brokenhearted, paying thousands of dollars, sending their kids off to a college only to come back with a loss of faith and beginning to do the things that the world would would do and and losing all the holiness and all the separation that they had learned as young people in our home? We have to be very careful what our church teaches. To reinforce our basic convictions that God has laid on our hearts, if you'll turn with me, please, (coughs) to Ezekiel the thirty-third chapter. Ezekiel thirty-three, very familiar portion of Scripture. Ezekiel thirty-three, beginning with the first verse, God giving responsibility to Ezekiel. He said, "And again, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, speak to the children of of thy people." and say unto them when I bring the sword upon the land if the people of the land take a man of their coast and set him for their watchman if when he seeth the sword come upon the land he blow the trumpet and warn the people now you see there's three responsibilities there of the watchman first of all he sees the sword coming second he blows the trumpet and third he warns the people and that's why you have to have prophets in your midst to see what's coming and say be careful this is what's coming in the days ahead and then blow the trumpet, warn what the Word of God has to say, warn the people, let them know. And I want to tell you something, there are a lot of people that are just glibly going along saying it's getting better and better and Jesus is going to set up his throne and hallelujah, everything's going to be fine. And I want to tell you something, there's a storm coming. There's a storm coming that we better got to be prepared for. And that's the work of the prophet to declare to you what's coming and to warn you and to prepare you for it so when it comes it won't take you unaware. And it goes on to say, Then whatsoever, whosoever heareth the sound of the trumpet and taketh not warning, if the sword come and take him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet and took not warning, his blood shall be upon him, but he that taketh warning shall deliver his soul. But if the watchman see the sword come, here again, he saw it coming, and he did not blow the trumpet, and the people were not warned if the sword come and take any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at the watchman's hand. That's a powerful portion of Scripture. Here's the responsibility of the, of the prophet. To see something coming, to blow the trumpet, and warn the people. And if he does that, the blood's not on his hands anymore. But if he sees them coming, does not blow the trumpet, does not make a warning, then the blood of those that are taken away will be upon their hands verse 7 so thou O son of man I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel therefore thou shalt hear the, the word at my mouth and warn them from me Ezekiel's task as a, as a watchman was to say what God says warn them from me God says and to warn them when I say unto the wicked O wicked man thou shalt surely die if thou dost not speak to warn the wicked from his way that wicked man shall die in his iniquity but his blood will I require thine hand Nevertheless, if thou warn the wicked of his way to turn from it, if he do not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. Therefore thou, O thou son of man, speak unto the house of Israel, thus ye speak, saying, If our transgressions and our sins be upon us, and we pine away in them, how should we then live? Say unto them, As I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye, from your evil ways for why will you die O house of Israel he says watchman the reason I want you to warn them is I have no pleasure in seeing people die some people say well God must just be a cruel God no he's doing everything he can to warn us he's making every provision he can for us to avoid being judged uh, beginning with verse 14 again I say unto the wicked thou shalt surely die if he turn from his sin and do that which is lawful and right if the wicked now here's, here's a good description of repentance by the way I like this If the wicked, first of all, will turn from his sin and do that which is lawful and right, if the wicked restore the pledge, give again that he hath robbed, walk in the statutes of life without committing iniquity, he shall surely live, he shall not die. None of his sins that he hath committed shall be mentioned unto him. He hath done that which is lawful and right, and he shall surely live. Yet the children of thy people say, The way of the Lord is not equal. But as for them, their way is not equal. When the righteous turneth from his righteousness and committeth iniquity, he, he shall even die thereby. But if the wicked shall turn from his wickedness and do that which is lawful and right, he shall live thereby. They so said, that's not fair, God. Just because we don't do right, we're going to be judged. God says, you do right and you'll receive eternal life. You do wrong and you will be judged. What's unfair about that? Turn to 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter. 2 Timothy, chapter four. So that's what God said to the prophet in the Old Testament. Look what he says to the believer in the New Testament I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the quick and the dead or the living and the dead Uh, that's a pretty strong charge Paul says I'm doing this before God Almighty God the Father and Jesus Christ who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom preach the word and that word is uh, charisma uh Logos which means uh, charisma you talk about somebody having charisma it means enthusiastically declare the word be instant in season out of season reprove and that means correct or convict in other words say what you're doing is wrong rebuke and that means to encourage for them to come out of it quit it and come out of it Exhort with all long-suffering, with all patience and doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, they will not listen to the truth, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having uh, itching ears. And another translation says, Telling them what they want to hear, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables, or men's misguided ideas. Paul the Apostle said that time is going to come, and when it comes, you must exhort, you must rebuke with all long-suffering and doctrine. You must not compromise. You must push all the harder and make men realize, regardless of what, how, what their response is, it does not change the truth. I'm amazed today how many people say, well, this is the, these are the 90s. Don't you understand? We've got to come out of the old ways. We got to, is this, these are the 90s. I want to tell you something. The Word of God is just as strong, just as effective, and will not change. God's holiness does not change. I am the Lord thy God. I change not. And if we can change all we want to, but I want to tell you something, the rule stays the same. The rule stays stays the same. I read an article out of Christianity Today by Walter Ewell, and I want to read just a portion of it to you. Because we've been talking about the church speaking with authority. He said, if future historians choose to describe the last half of the 20th century as a crisis, They might well choose to say there was a crisis of authority, a crisis of authority. Such a crisis exists both inside and outside the church. It may be seen outside in the collapse of society, the resorting to violence, the selfish disregard of others, and the desire for instant gratification. These are all signs of a crisis of authority. I mean it used to be if you and I wanted something we would go out and find some way to work to get it. Now you can be walking down the major uh, corridors of some of our main streets or driving in a car and somebody will come by and look and say I want that jacket and if you don't give it to them they'll shoot you and take it. I want those tennis shoes. If you don't give it to them they'll shoot. I want what I want and I want it right now. So that's a crisis of authority. He said inside the church it appears in such matters as changing attitudes. Boy are there changing attitudes. uh, Towards sex redefinition of worldliness and the increasing success of cults, but particularly in attitudes towards the Bible. Particularly in attitudes towards the Bible. There was a time when everybody that I knew believed the Word of God was the Word of God. You can go to many of your cemetery, seminaries today, and many of them will tell you that it's no longer the Word of God. This it, it contains the Word of God. There's parts of it. And you have to really have a many degrees in theology before you can begin to define which are which. I one time spoke uh, to some young people on the second coming of Jesus Christ and was informed by a seminarian's wife in that church that I had no authority and no right to teach on that because I didn't have my doctorate in eschatology. Boy, I'm sure glad she wasn't around when Peter was around. He still smelled like fish, And he was out preaching the gospel. Jesus didn't write this to the doctors. He said... Very few wise, and very few rich are called. He has made the gospel in simplicity so that you and I can understand it. Jesus, or God said to Ezekiel, "I have set thee as a watchman. You speak my words. You warn people. You blow the trumpet, let them know." And Jesus said to us, "You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Don't hide it under a bushel." And, the, and we were talking about this in Sunday school this morning. see." The spiritual meaning of the bushel is abundance. In those days, they would carry their vegetables in from the farm, their grain in from the farm. So it, it, it accounted you how many bushels did you get for grain this year? How many quarts or gallons of wine did you get? The baskets brought in were, were symbolic of prosperity, commercialism, uh, wealth. Jesus said, "Don't hide your light under a bushel basket under your wealth. Don't put that first and let people know you as a businessman. First of all, let them know you as a Christian." Don't let them know you as an investor. First, let them know you as a Christian. The second one, he said, don't hide it under your bed. The bed is a place of leisure. And let me tell you something, we are in a leisurely society today. Everybody's looking for more time to go do what they want to do and relax. And Jesus said, don't get so involved in that that you hide your light and realize that even while you're out there doing it, you're still to be a um, witness for Jesus Christ to declare what God says and warn what he says in his word is going to happen if we don't do right. Then he says, you're the salt of the earth. And if you ever lose your savor, you're not just less valuable. He says, you're worthless but to be trampled under the feet of men the only good thing so he says preach the word exhort the word rebuke be alert warn stand don't compromise